Today on the show, we're talking about if minimalism works every time. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. Thank you for being here with us today. I'm joined today by Trevor and Mike, who's back for another episode with us to to really talk about this and and kind of expand the conversation to give it an awesome perspective. So, so Mike, we're happy to have you back this week. Thank you. Uh, before we get started, I got to address an elephant in the room here. There's a, a big elephant. It's uh, its name's Black Friday, and I hear its uh, its friend uh, Cyber Monday is coming soon. Um, yeah, that's a problem. And I think uh, for the episodes, today's a, a good one to talk about it because uh, it's a consumer weekend, and I feel like we have an obligation as a, a financial responsible podcast to talk about the very financially irresponsible weekend of uh, Black Friday. Yeah, that's that's a good point. No, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, it's we. I don't, Trevor. I don't think we've done an episode on Black Friday before. I don't think we've even mentioned it. But Mike, you, it's 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 it really the epitome of what we 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 like to we like to go against here. So, have any of you guys fallen victim to Black Friday or are planning to fall victim to? I think I try to avoid it like the plague, the Black Friday, because. Uh, I, if I don't have any wants, then if I go out there and I'm just looking for sales, you might think you're saving money. If you're saving $30 on something and getting it 50% off, you think, okay, I'm only spending $30. But if you never wanted that originally, then why? Like you're, you're still spending more money than you would have originally if you didn't. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I was uh, grocery shopping yesterday and for, forgot that it was Black Friday. I went into Walmart to get groceries. Oh, no mistake I right I there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I would have went to just a plain old grocery store, but I went in there and there was a, this was like late in the day. So, so Black Friday, like this was on Saturday and there was um, people, they were kind of arguing over, there was a limited number of TVs left. Uh, these were enormously large. I think they were 60 inch TVs for, and I don't even know that what a good price for a TV is today, but these people seem to be, uh, very aggressively fighting over the last few TVs. So that, you know, I thought that those fights and those, uh, you know, those, those things you see on YouTube <laughs> about Black Friday only happened on Black Friday, but they would continue to happen on the Saturday when I was in Walmart. And you know, what's funny about that? And I was actually doing some, some reading about, I just like to skimming the news about Black Friday and it, it, they're doing, the, companies are doing things, grand marketing schemes now where, Essentially, after Halloween, the Black Friday, the Black Friday sales start, and or not Black Friday, sorry, but the sales start. They start. Um, it's like a whole this month. Kind of, it's it is. Yeah. It's like a whole month. It's Black Friday month, and then it leads so perfectly, and then it it. The thing is, I went to the mall actually. If we're talking about participation, a few years ago, and I just happened to be in the mall um, again, looking for something, probably a, a few days before, and then one of the associates told me that no, the deals that you're gonna get today are the same that you're going to get on Black Friday. So it's, and, and, and to your point, Mike, it happens all month and, and, and it's a perfect lead up to Christmas or the holiday season as well. So one thing I heard on the news was, do you know why it's called Black Friday? Yeah. It was interesting. I, I just discovered it. No, why is it? I didn't know that. So if you think, and I'm an accountant, so this is an accounting thing, bad numbers or, or, or losses are recorded in red ink and good numbers or, or gains are recorded in black ink. So that's when retailers... For the whole year, that's when they move from red to black. So, so they're kind of winning. It's almost like a casino game where the, the house wins. Yeah, every yeah. time. Yeah. So I think we uh, we almost need to change the conversation about it. And I think I know you always talk about it, Trevor. The the idea that uh, you wait for things to go on sale. But I, I think the mistake a lot of people are making is they they go to buy things on sale and they they're, they don't realize that it's not something they want or need. They're just buying it because it's on sale. So I think. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. always need to go to Black and Friday I, I, with like a grocery list, you, like like uh, yeah. I, I want yeah. I want to buy two of this, three of that, and five of those, and 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 there is that saying that it's I mean Trevor, you, you said it before on this podcast that um, how does it go? I think it's a Josh and Ryan saying that things are a hundred percent off if you don't buy them. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good saying. And I know, I know, I, for so my thing about only buying things on sale, I. I I will if there's something I need or want. I I I will go and see, you know, how much it costs and maybe read about it. And if I if I observe that it's not on sale, okay, I'm not buying it today. 
But the, I think the problem with Black Friday is people will see things on sale never wanting or needing them and all of a sudden they do you know that's the psychology that's going on right now well like to, to mike's point from earlier i mean if you if if you go to the mall because you're looking for a winter jacket and there's going to be great sales and it, like and you need one anyway might as well get it while it is at a, at a reduced price but to, to mike's point you can't just kind of aimlessly wander to the mall and and just expect to, to not succumb to the to the sales and, and the marketing tactics. Curiosity kills the cat. No, it, yeah. 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 It, it's, it's it, as strong as we may be. Uh, oh, so Mike might be the strongest in, from this perspective. And, be, and because he's a minimalist at heart, like, I mean, naturally, whereas somebody like me, I need to work at it. I, I'm actually more at risk than, than, than someone like Mike is. Well, we're, well, we're kind of switching to that. Mike, can you, I mean, I, we want to hear about kind of your minimalistic past and, and kind of how you define yourself as a minimalist and what that means to you. Uh, so I would say, like Trevor said, I, I'm naturally a minimalist. Uh, so like through my most of my life, I, I've never really been interested in, like I've never really wanted things. Uh, it's more like I need something. And I know as a kid, actually, uh, I always had my dad, he was always asking me at Christmas time, what do I want for Christmas? What do I want for Christmas? And I never really had a list and it was always so annoying. So then one year he was, he was harassing me like crazy. It was, it was my first year in university. So I was busy with finals. So I, I sent him this email because he, the last thing he sent emailed me was, what do you want for Christmas? So I emailed him back saying, you know what? I, I don't want anything. I just, I want to, I want to train ticket back home so I can spend time with the family. So to me, minimalism uh, it, it, it's more than just not having stuff, but it's about getting, reducing the amount of stuff you have uh, to make way for, for spending time with people and enjoying experiences. And, you know, hearing that from a, a young person's perspective, it, when you're young, it's, it's when you, your needs are the greatest because you, you've had so little time to satisfy them. When I say needs, you might need, uh, you know, things just to survive, clothes, pots and pans, maybe a car like your needs at, at such a young age are, are are much greater than when you get older your your needs start to to dwindle down because you obviously satisfied most of them over time and they turn into wants so to hear that from somebody at such a young age i truly believe that people are born minimalist you know it, it comes to some people easier than others so you're kind of saying and i mean you're saying that like it's a it's like uh something that uh I'll call it adults are pushing on to, to kids. Like every, everyone's a minimalist and then people are, are training us to almost become not minimalist, like uh, like consumerist. Oh, no, no, no. I, I think I think I was, when I was younger, I, I was anything but a minimalist. I, I had a list of wants a mile long. So I, I think it's almost a per, part of your personality makeup that you, you come as a minimalist, sort of rather than seeing what you don't have, you, you see what you do have. So I, I think it comes easier to you than, than it does to someone like me, even if we were the same age. I mean, look at Josh and Ryan, the minimalists. They, I mean, Mike, you're a working professional now. And, and when they started in, into their professional careers, they, their, their salary kept increasing, increasing, and they kept inflating their lifestyle to, to consume that, which now in retrospect, they realize so it, I just kind of hearing what you're saying, it sounds like you are already at the point that Josh and Ryan are at now that, that they've come to the realization of. And it for you, it just happens so naturally. And I think that is important. Yeah, I, I don't want uh, our listeners like I just want our listeners to understand that you don't feel bad about yourself. If 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 you don't if you don't if you have to work at minimalism, if you have to work hard at, at being a minimalist, assuming you want to be one, don't be too hard on yourself thinking it should come easier and there's something wrong with me. I, I, I don't think that's the case. So um, to, all, to all of our listeners, we did do an episode on minimalism. It was a while ago. It's I, I can't remember what episode it was, but it's a while back in our catalog. And we found a great article today that kind that it's called actually the drawbacks of minimalism. It's by Emily um, Catherine. And we really liked this article because I mean, we, we are raw, raw, raw minimalism here on the podcast, but it's, so we thought with Mike on board, we'd kind of examine this article to get Trevor's perspective and Mike's perspective, two individuals who uh, they who, who both kind of 
one comes naturally, minimalism comes naturally to, and someone who minimalism is kind of something that has been learned. So, I mean, I, I, I think this is going to be a really great article to go through with uh, with both of you. So uh, just uh, just to lead off, um, Emily Catherine I, it really points out how there are pitfall, pitfalls to minimalism. And to any of our listeners who maybe aren't minimalists or maybe fully don't grasp the idea of, of of what minimalism is or maybe aren't on board i think i think this this it shows that even emily catherine who's a minimalist herself does see that there are drawbacks and that it's it's not all uh puppies and sprinkles and rainbows so the first the first kind of point so this article essentially lays out uh minimal versus something so there are i think there's five of them so the first one here and i'll just read and i'll get both your takes on this and it's it's minimal Verse frugal. Yeah, this one's my my downfall. I, it, faced with the two choices, so uh, this to sum that up, the the minimalist option is not always the cheapest option, and and I I'm I know this firsthand, and I tend to gravitate toward the minimalist option when when faced with the two. And I'll give you a good example. I recently bought a printer, and I wanted a printer without I, I the one thing I didn't want was a fax capability because I don't have a phone line in my house so and I wanted something with a very small form factor it turned out to be one of the most expensive printers in the store and so I left I said I'm not I'm not paying that much for a printer and I went home and looked you know at some other printers and I I kept gravitating back to that one I ended up buying that one and it's it's really small form factor and, and it doesn't have a whole bunch of features I don't need but I paid a premium for it so Trevor I want to point out here and Mike let's I, I need your take on this um so, but Trevor, you were able to afford that printer. I mean, Mike, you're you're just out of uh, out of school. You're you're working now. Do when what would you do if you were faced with the same situation as Trevor? Would you, as maybe someone with who with not as much disposable income as Trevor, make the same decision that he did regarding that printer, be, being that you are a a minimalist yourself? I think I would go with the the cheaper option. Um, like in, in my mind, both of them. Uh, are a minimalist approach like whether I had the one with the facts or I didn't to me I'm looking at the object that both can do the same thing and if I'm not going to fax it's just this extra little button that I'm, I'm never going to touch that's uh so I, I look at it to me as they're both the same and and the only reason I think I'd go for the more expensive is if I knew it was going to last longer so in the case of the printer I I, I, I think I should have went the frugal route I kind of agree with you but and I disagree about it lasting longer. I, I think a, a printer, it turns out, a printer, if I think of the number of printers I've owned in my lifetime, I, 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 I'm going to say I've probably owned 20 printers. And it, the number of printers I've owned, I, I probably should have went for the cheapest option because something's going to come along that's even more, ha, has better features or they, they've invented something like it, it uses less ink. The ink is incredibly expensive on printers, but they, they, they may come up with something where they they have a, a new formula where the ink costs half as much or it uses half as much ink. So I, I probably should have went the frugal route and I, I didn't. I'm probably going to regret it. With, uh, I mean, while we're specifically on printers and this applies to a lot of consumer goods is that at some point, I mean, I when I went to get my last printer, it, it was it was cheaper to buy a brand new printer than it was to buy a whole set of ink cartridges. Like that's crazy. So I think in a sense like being frugal it's it's kind of it, it gets really muddled and I, here's a stat for you i was oh, gonna sorry, say i think ahead. that's the perfect example of minimalism versus frugal is in that case i think i would go with the minimalism side of that is because for me i would rather spend the extra money on ink and i know for my printer i've bought an ink many times for it is because i don't want to have two or three printers just sitting around that don't have ink and it's it's an extra burden to get rid of them all that. So for me, uh, that's where I think uh, the minimalism over frugal uh, uh, wins for me. And that's a good point because you can't just throw a printer in the garbage. It, it becomes e-waste, so that you have to dispose of it, you know, at a special uh, places. So that becomes an, an extra burden. So that's that's a that is a good point. You know, here's a little stat for you. I, I don't even know if this number still holds true, but I read this article that uh, printer ink costs about six thousand dollars a gallon wow if you, if you do the math on on uh, uh you know if you had a gallon of, of that ink how much it would cost so it's just 
They really have you. It, it makes sense that the ink is so expensive. <laughs> so um, before we move on to the next one, do you guys have any anything? Well, actually, you know what? I do want to touch on this. So Emily brings up the idea of a minimal wardrobe. So, I mean, wardrobe is something that comes up all the time. I mean, Courtney Carver from Project 333, she focuses on... And the idea of how to minimize your wardrobe. So, Mike, I do want your perspective on this, and and you too, Trevor. About actually, you, you know, I'm going to say, uh, so I'm I'm stepping here. I have a, I I have a week's worth of clothes. That is my wardrobe. One week, I do laundry every week. I have, I have literally seven days worth of clothes, and that is such a a, a freeing, um, you know, I don't even have to think about clothes anymore, and and. And I just, it's, it's, it's once a week, I wear the same clothes, it's almost like a uniform. And so I, I think that's where it's minimal and it's frugal. I, I do want to speak to that. I mean, I, you, you must have a washer and dryer in your home, right? I do, yeah. Okay, so I live in an apartment building that for, it's, it's six floors, um, multiple units on each floor, and we only have three washers, three dryers. So I, I just kind of, I, I, I want to point out that I think that works um, when you have the freedom to do laundry whenever because you have one in your home and they're always going to be free for you. So I, I, I just want to, that's one thing I've, I want, just want to put out there that f- for all cases, I mean, my included, there's been times when I went to, needed to do laundry and there was no washers available. That's why I think uh, if you have, uh, I have a week's and a half's worth of clothes and I try to do laundry uh, once a week. So you get a little buffer space there. But to Trevor's point, uh, I know everything in my wardrobe I, I love. You know, like I don't have a piece of clothing I say I don't like. And if I don't like it, I get rid of it. And I always have the rule where reduce the, uh, like don't don't ever buy hangers. So I, I have the same hangers I've had for 10 years. And I don't buy new ones because then if I, if I can't hang all my clothes up on hangers, then I need to get rid of some clothes. Wow, I like that. That's, that, I, that's easy. I that love that. That is really good, yeah. There's a good test to know if you've uh, ex- if you're expanding your wardrobe, uh, you know, uh, sort of unintentionally. Because it's so it's I think for for a lot of people their initial reaction when they uh, run out of hangers is to go buy more. But you're you completely do the opposite because that that way you maintain that week and a half worth of clothing. So here's the this works for fifty year old men. It might not work for younger people or women. But I I also tend to wear. Um, similar colors so grays blues blacks so i can wash like i don't have to do separate loads for different colors so i that's another sort of frugal hack of mine okay so i'm gonna throw out my question to both of you with kind of two options and you're gonna pick one so one is are you going to are you going to buy something that maybe is expensive and high quality so it'll last a long time or are you going to pick the frugal approach um and and maybe and maybe own the same amount of clothing. I guess yeah. I I want to hear your takes on this because as as a female, sometimes um, things go out of fashion. But or do you? I guess you got you two must buy things that kind of are are very timeless. I guess so. So uh, Trevor, let's. Let, I want your take on this. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna go with quality for two reasons. So when you buy quality clothes, they. I don't know why this is, but I'll use blue as an example. If you buy a, a cheap article of a clothing and it's blue, th- the blue is just an off tint of blue that it, it kind of doesn't look nice. And I don't know why, but th- the color's never just right on cheap clothing. And the other thing is fit. Regardless of the label on it, high-end clothes tend to fit better. So I, I'm not, I'm a, I don't know, a, an average size person. I, I Maybe even a little on the thin side. So I find cheap clothes, they tend to just hang off you. And I'm not some sort of fashion model. I'm not looking for a perfect fit. But, you know, when you're bending over, standing up, tying your shoes up, cheap clothes seem to, you know, slide down or ride up or, you know, just fit wrong. And so more expensive clothes tend to fit better when you're doing things, not as opposed to just standing there. Or when you stand up, you're not always having to pull your pants up or, you know, the if you have a a shirt the neck doesn't get stretched out of shape so those little nuances i tend to spend uh and also i, I tend to buy clothes that, that if they're not going to go to fashion just the nature of my age so for me i uh i'm the same thing i always choose quality 
Uh, I can't stand shopping. It's like uh, one of the worst things in my mind. Actually, that's, so, that's another point. I hate clothes shopping. So that's a, that's a fabulous I always reason. choose. Every listener, hands up if, you, uh, if you're with Mike. I always choose quality and uh, it makes my clothes last forever. So then I don't need to go out and buy new clothes. Um, and I know I got some shirts that are like 10 years old and I know my mom keeps reminding me, oh, these shirts are so old, go buy some new ones. But I, I tell her they, they're, they're, they're not broken. They're still working. So until there's a big hole in them, I'm, I'm going to keep wearing them. Actually, that's the, the single reason for buying quality clothes is I, I hate clothes shopping. So I, I'm with you there a hundred percent. And I, so it sounds like you both avoid, and maybe this is a female thing. I'm I'm, I'm not going to stereotype or anything, but you both kind of avoid buying fast fashion. So a p- articles of clothing that are specific styled or specific colored that really are, are trendy in that season. You know, there's one place where I went cheap for, for a few years. It was on a winter coat. So as Canadians, this is a disaster. You know, you will... You will despise winter at levels you never understood if you cheap out on a winter coat. So that's where, so I have like one of these, uh, I'll call it a three season coat. And it is, it has to be, and the older you get, the more important this becomes. Mike, you were mentioning, and I think this is a good time to bring it up because uh, Trevor brought up his winter coat. You were mentioning uh, before we were recording how uh, it's it is getting cold, and and you uh, you're happy for your winter jacket, and and you're saying before that you had your kind of uh, makeshift layered jacket. So uh, what's 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 your view on that? With that, your your two winter coats, like that means then you have your your nice raincoat in the summer, and you got your uh, uh, your your winter coat for the winter. So now you got three three jackets or whatever you got your nice three season jacket and you got your uh, uh your raincoat so then it, isn't that taking away from the minimalist aspect you got so many coats you're always going to the door wondering and questioning what coat should you wear it is and you know when you get into the the fall and the spring it, it becomes an issue but when you're the older you get the more important that winter coat becomes when you're it old is, you feel the cold yeah that's that is it because so I wish I could get by with sort of a, a single purpose coat, but I, I get that, that that's a minimalist approach and it would simplify things in life. But I, I literally, the older you get, the more important that becomes. So let's move on to the second point within Emily Catherine's article and it is minimum, min, minimal versus durable. And I really like this point because, uh, so she says here that quote, we have a tendency when we don't have many possessions that we place too much value on the things we own. So, I mean, I think this point is pretty, uh, pretty accurate. I think it really highlights the irony of minimalism. And I think she says that in the article is the idea that like we're minimalism. You're not supposed to put emphasis on what you have. Uh, and all of a sudden now you're putting emphasis on what you have. And I know I do the same. I always apply the, the rule of, uh, if I got rid of that, like, is it really going to change my life that much? Even if I care about something, uh, if I got rid of it, I'm going to get over it or I'll, I'll end up with a new one or whatever. I like that approach, that, that mindset. But the, one of the flaws of going durable is you, you tend to spend more money on durable. So, so that, that kind of is a flaw in the personal finance world. And then you become more attached to it or you become you know, you'll be more, you know, disappointed if you lose it or, or if it finally does break because you've coveted it for so long or your expectations were so high that this thing was going to last. And I'm, I'm trying to think of an example where, where this is, has happened to me. I don't know if you, do you guys have something? I actually do have one. So I, uh, I am an avid rain boot wearer, wearer. I actually, I don't know if this is a good time to admit it, but I actually have four pairs of rain boots right now i know i know i need to minimalize i know i know it's uh it's 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 and it's an issue i actually had five i think five i had five pairs before one actually broke just for the record i've got none (laughs) my my working with i do want to underscore though i know this is like confession hour on us of money solutions i I do want to underscore that there was one day uh it, it was uh just pouring and i saw people wearing rain boots i was very envious of it yeah, you know, I guess only, driving a car to work and most of my transportation is, is through a car. The, the, 
The, the rain boot need is pretty low, actually. Oh, when, like when you're commuting and, and I mean, you do so much walking when you live in a, like a metropolitan area that it, it become footwear becomes such a necessity. But back to my rain boots, though. I do want to underscore that I, I don't actually have winter boots and I actually wear rain boots all season long. I just kind of put thick socks inside. And so I recently invested in... Is that I, these... Uh, super expensive fancy hunter boots yes yes it okay, is okay yeah yeah I, I so i have i have hunter boots and i actually love them because so for me they're minimalist i get to wear them in the rain and and kind of they're kind of all season so i get it, not quite summer because it's so warm but i get to wear them spring fall and winter so they're and then put the hunter socks in um in the winter so I, they work awesome as winter boots and i know they're always going to keep my feet dry which is great so before that, I I actually, I had, I used to get cheaper uh, rubber boots and they would last me because I wear them every single day. They would, they would last me a year and they would very inconveniently get a hole in them when of course I'm out and about for the full day and they'd crack and water would get in, my feet would get cold and it was, it was just kind of annoying because I was going through so many pairs. So buying my Hunter rain boots was kind of, uh, a decision where I was thinking about durability and and minimalism all at once. Now, question with your um uh your your cheaper pairs that got holes in them, were you still kind of in a way because you only had the one pair, or whatever? Were you still attached to them like like uh, you would say with your hunters? Like, oh yeah, I was actually. It's I mean, I, I'm still I'm going I'm slowly getting rid of the pairs of other rubber boots that I have because I just threw a pair away last week because they uh, did have a crack. Um, I guess the rubber must be different across uh, the, the boots. I, at least I'd hope so if I'm paying so if I paid so much for the Hunter boots. But um, yeah, yeah. so at first I had a hard time because I, I love each pair of rubber boots that I had so much trouble throwing them away. I actually kept them and I told myself, oh, I'll wear them if it's cold out but not raining. And that's kind of ridiculous. So I, I'm getting to the point where it's easier to throw them away. Like I'm just getting better at because I know I have my hunters and, and they're a good fallback. So, so let me ask you guys this. So in order to be sure you've, you know, you, you've got the most durable item, do you tend to gravitate to brand names? Because we talked about these hunter boots. So, so when, when you're sort of debating, do I go minimal or durable, is the durable option always the brand name and which tends to be the more expensive? Just so you're sure you've got the, the highest quality, you tend to gravitate to the most expensive brand. Is that, is that the approach that you guys use? I know that's a trap I fall into. That's such a good question because I actually, I think, I think it's the price tag. I think I look at that more than the brand. I think I look at how well the brand is recognized because I think I think we talked about this last episode. Is ideally you'd have a, a like a, a store with no brands, and I think then the company focuses on uh, quality. But I think if companies are really well known, like say like Hunter Boots, you know that they're gonna uh, they're they're relying on their quality to keep going. Like if their quality all of a sudden dropped, then I think it's going people aren't gonna want to buy it. So I think. If the brand's really well known, I think then they they really have to protect their quality. So Mike, here here's here's a, here's a, a one where that doesn't work. Have and I, I have another in, example in, too. Have you ever been in American Eagle and held up one of their T-shirts that are I I would say almost see-through? They're so thin. I, I struggle to call that quality, but it's a it's a huge brand. So do you name. think that I guess they're you're saying the brand their the quality because their brand's so well known their quality they're saying okay we don't need to worry about that as much now like they they're slowly letting go of their quality. I I don't know I, I'm asking the question so I, when I hold up that shirt and it looks see through maybe it actually washes well I, I have no idea but they they don't look like quality maybe. You know it doesn't work for for clothing I don't know I for I mean I'll use. I'm female t-shirts at American Eagle. I have, I have never had an American Eagle shirt um, stretch or twist on me. I'm not sure about anyone's ever washed a shirt and the, the seam is kind of twisted around. So I think, I think the fa fabric might be, I mean, that's, I think that's a design element, but I think the, it might be higher quality than a, than it appears. Yes. You know, yeah. That's not a good test of durability to hold it up and see how thick the material is. is no, and it, that's like, that's like the ripped jeans, which is, which are, which are back. Um, people are paying for rips in their jeans yet. Yeah. Usually those, even the, the ripped, the, the kind of the ripped, uh, string element is actually a little bit sometimes stronger than, than it looks as well. So it's kind of 
the high hole quality. doesn't grow over time. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm not maybe a 50 year old man assessing fashion is not the best, <laughs> the best, I, the best use of this podcast. I do, uh, I do want to highlight one more thing though about uh, thinking bigger. Going back to kind of a boot example is that. I remember, and any of our listeners who who remember this too, when when Uggs were the massive craze. I mean, they're, they're, they're still worn today. I think I probably still have a pair. Um, and but they're anything but durable. Yeah, and but again, everyone to Mike, what you were saying earlier, everyone had them. Everyone knew the brand. They were well recognized, um, like a well respected brand. But they are they they are not winter boots they 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 soak in water they're really warm and fuzzy in the inside but they're not they don't they're not up good for the but, elements such as slash but durab- and, and, and but for durability you, i think you got to compare um like what what's the other alternative like if you're if you're set on uggs because that was the fashion at the time you could go with like the walmart no-name brand uggs or you could go with the actual uggs uggs and i think with Gosh, those last point. yeah longer, that's a good point and and kind of to what i was saying before i think you would look at it and you'd say well um my uh like even if your your no name uggs broke you'd still be like wanting to keep them like, like so i think it, it's better to to go durable like to focus on that cuz you're still going to like hold them closer ever that's so such back a good to point. My, my question is is the brand name your your best tool for durability durability I would say yes. Then I really for would. me it yeah. is. I, I t- it's the only way I can be sure. I mean, and the the, the brand names. If you want to do some research on something, like say you were buying Bluetooth earbuds, <laughs> just just saying, <laughs> just just, just saying, say, the brand names are going to have more literature that you can read about than than some sort of knockoff off. And when you go to research those those Bluetooth um, headphones, you're, you're probably going to go to whatever the brand name is as your benchmark, and then you're going to be comparing it to all these no name brands. That's that's a good point, actually. That becomes the the, the reference. And I would point. say, if, if that's your reference point, then that's your your reference of quality as well, is or yeah, what yeah. you expect out of it. That's true. No, I I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. It's a great point because I've had my my UGG since I was probably in grade six. I still have them. So your feet haven't grown you're since then, right? No, <laughs> they have not. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh let's move on though. Minimal versus multiple. So this is the just in case scenario. So, I mean, I I think I think both of you might have kind of very maybe diverse perspectives. So, Mike, what's what's your take on having multiples of something for just in case? So I thought this idea was kind of interesting because I I agree that like like uh, she was presenting the whole idea that you know uh, there's all these like what if cases, but I know uh, Josh and Ryan talk about a 2020 rule. That if you can get something for less than twenty dollars and get it with like it takes less than twenty minutes to get, do you really need multiples of it? And uh, I know for me, I try to limit the amount of multiples I have because again, I get just so so annoyed by all these things laying around in my room or like in my house that I'm just keeping around for just in case. And to me, that's just an extra burden. That's just like it 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 it, it dilutes all the things I do need because there's all that extra stuff. And I'm going to disagree with that on one level is if it becomes a a mission critical thing in your life where uh, you can't make it to work or uh, something that, that if it stopped working, your life would be dramatically altered until you had a replacement. And I'm struggling to think of something, but that, that would be the only case where it was mission critical. But, so but I, Mike- I, I can't. I can't think of an example, but so here's this thing. So I was reading this book, this survival book, and the the, the author had this thing. He said, uh, two is one and one is none. And so he, he's, this guy was going on expeditions into the mountains. And if he didn't have a backup to, uh, to one of his systems, uh, he in essence didn't have it. You know? And so Tim Ferriss, he did a YouTube video. He has a podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show. And he, when he goes on location to, to do an interview with a guest, not in his studio, but on the road, he brings, you know, two micro, an extra microphone. He brings, uh, you know, extra batteries for his recorder and extra cables and backup for backup. And that's where he, I heard that. That's actually where I heard it was. So two is one and one is none is his approach to when he's going on the road to do a, a on location re- a podcast. So sometimes you, you need backups when 
you don't have $20 or 20 minutes to spare. Yeah, so I agree with you with the critical items, but with the $20 and 20 minutes, so, so he's got the a one bag item. for his, his um, uh, like all of his podcast stuff. Then he's got his other bag. And if you went in there, you'd probably see only one toothbrush. You'd see enough clothes for the, say he's gone for four days, for the four days. You'd see the enough socks. So I, I think for those, like his non-critical things, if if, he, if something went wrong with his toothbrush, it fell down the toilet, well, then he could go out in 20 minutes with less than $20 and get a new one. So I agree with you. The, yeah, the less, okay. if it's not critical, I think uh, the using the 2020 rule. So here's something. I, I, so I agree with you that those, those were good examples. When I go away just overnight, so a one night overnight or in a hotel, I, I generally wear pants for two days unless it's really hot out or something. So, but when I'm going away, I always pack an extra pair of pants that I never end up wearing. But the time I don't pack them, the one time I'm going to spill something on myself. So w- what do you think of that approach? You know, that, that it, it, would, it would spoil that that vacation or that getaway you have a good point uh, if i had to run out if i had to run out and shop for a pair of pants because i spilled something on mine but but mike because you are a young working professional and maybe have less disposal income than say trevor do you ever think twice before you maybe get rid of something because again you have less disposal income to to replace that if ever no i i'm a firm believer in the 2020 rule and i i think when you identify things that you uh that like apply with that 2020 rule it usually doesn't come up for like another year that uh that i need that item or it might never come up ever that uh, i need it again you know here's an example where the 2020 rule has come back to haunt me so when i first bought my first house when you have a house you you need screws and nails constantly you know you there's always something that needs to be repaired or some sort of project you need them for and so when i bought my first house i, I knew i didn't have any extra screws or nails so you know, if I was planning a project, I'd go out and buy some, you know, whatever sizes I thought I needed. And I, I, I'd use some of them, but not all of them. And then, you know, maybe two weeks later, another project come up and I'd stop at the hardware store, get some screws or nails, maybe a different size. But, and I, again, I wouldn't use all of them. And then I started building up this supply of screws and nails. And then my mindset switched to, oh, I have lots of screws and nails. I don't need to buy any. And then I'd be in the middle of a project and I wouldn't have enough screws or nails of the right size, so I'd I, I'd use another size that was maybe not as optimal for that particular project, and, and the project wouldn't go as well. So I, I kind of the twenty twenty rule, it, you know, I I bought some screws, so I had so many that I I had this illusion that I had more than I than I ever would would use, and then when I went to use them, there wasn't as many as there as I thought. So then at the end of that first project why not just get rid of them so then like you, like you were holding them around for the what if like what if i need to do another project or the the next thing like uh like why why not just say okay i've used this set of screws for that one project and i guess in some ways that's that it goes back to the whole minimalist first fr- frugal is it's maybe not the most minimalistic approach but it, in the long run it might be a the this a simpler one no that's a good point actually i i that that that's where it fell apart. Actually, you know that you mentioned that it is me saving these screws for just in case. So actually, had I got rid of them, I, I wouldn't have been subconsciously relying on them. So they, yeah, that is a good point. Before we move on to the kind of the next category, I want to ask one more question because I I, I mean I I'd like for your perspective on this. Um, the example Emily throws into this is that uh, she has an ugly sweater for the holiday season because sometimes they have um holiday parties and then she she needs to wear that so what are your perspectives on having kind of maybe one-off objects that you're only going to need maybe once a year or maybe not even that year or what what's your rule for holding on to it or getting rid of it yeah i tend to it's really hard because i tend to hold on to these one-off things i have this camping sweater i just it's sort of a big oversized sweater that it really doesn't look, you know, fashionable. Not that I'm a high fashion person, but it doesn't look fashionable to wear anywhere but in my mind camping. And when I go camping, I love to wear this sweater. And, and I, I don't camp that often now that my, my, my kids have moved out. We don't get that opportunity. But I, I like to have that sweater just for that reason. And it's hanging in my closet and I, I probably haven't wore it in over a year. And I, I don't want to get rid of it. So I, I, I guess I'm a victim of this. 
But but when when you ever do go camp again, which I'm sure you and your wife will, maybe you'll be kicking yourself because you don't have that camping sweater that you you love to wear camping. Yeah, that's true. But uh, again, it's it's hanging in my closet, and I probably haven't worn it in over a year. And then, and Mike, what what's your perspective on this? Um, I think like what Trevor said, it goes back kind of to the durability thing. Sometimes, uh, there's things you you maybe don't need, but it, it's really hard to get rid of because you're attached to them, and I I don't know if right now I, I have anything I, I fall victim to, but like I know a good example, and we all have it is like Chris, um, like with the kind of related to ugly Christmas sweaters, all of our Christmas decoration stuff. We use them once a year, and I I think that uh I I think I think it's okay to to have one or two, like it's but I think to limit it, like you shouldn't have many of those cases. So like the, like the fact Trevor can think of just one. I think that that's fine. I think you're always going to have a case where you have a couple things where uh, it's a one-off. You know, another example of this would be sentimental things. And they're actually, I've come to realize that that sentimental, keeping things for sentimental reasons. So I, I the reason I mentioned that is I think that sweater might have more sentimental uh, things, a meaning to me than, than its actual practical use. Because any sweater is going to keep me warm when I'm camping. But I, I think... That sentimental things actually end up being a boat anchor. Yeah, I know for me they have been. So I've recently had a dog that passed away and, and she played with these unique balls and I've been saving these balls and I, I'm i terrified of losing one of them. So it, it, it almost becomes an anchor to me. And I think it's one of those things you have to uh, realize that getting rid of the, the object doesn't get rid of the memories. I, I know uh, with my family, we have this um, uh, this dinner table we always used to dinner at for years and it was uh at first we, when we talked about getting rid of it it seemed like it was we were losing all those memories of eating there but then we realized we got rid of it and we still had all those those good times that we could reflect on it i do want to ask yeah. a question though about that because i was actually talking to someone yesterday about about how do you conjure up that memory without seeing that object to to spark that memory? Is it that important of a memory if you can't remember it without that object? Yeah, well, that's a good point. That's a really good point. That's a really, Although really when, good point. When, when I set up the Christmas tree, I do, uh, memories of Christmas has gone by rush back into my mind. It, as soon as that tree goes up and the decorations come out, I, I tend to not reflect on those things until that tree is set up and I go, oh, I remember this or I remember that. And I remember my kids at very young ages. So it it, it does help, but you're right. It, it, is the memory that important? You know, if I maybe that's the only time I stop to think about it. But if, I, if it was that important, I might think about it all the time, you know. So that's a, that is a good point. And because, I mean, a few years ago, I was going through kind of some old um, schoolwork from elementary school and all these memories came rushing back. And and I, I think that's one of maybe a fear of a lot of people and, and of ourselves, maybe that if we that object is the only thing kind of triggering, triggering that memory. I know Josh and Ryan, the minimalist, they they advocate that uh, if you take a picture of that thing and then you see the picture that that will trigger the memory and. I have to say, I when I do look at a picture of, say, that dog, it does trigger the same memory. So, do I really need those those unique balls to trigger the memory? It's just a picture that that dog could actually do the trick. No, that's that's really true. Is the whole idea that uh, your memories, or, or, or sorry, these these things that you you worry about forgetting about, uh, is that they're they're kind of a progress to you becoming to where you are. So even if you do forget about them and, and you don't have anything to trigger it, in the long run, it was just something there that helped you to get to where you are. And so it was just kind of like a stepping stone more, like even if you don't remember that memory or whatever. So you're saying sometimes a, a, a life event is leading you down a path and that event just needed to happen to get you down that path. Recalling it is not yeah, going is, isn't the important down, further part. down the path but because it led you yeah. down maybe a critical path you feel like it it's it's super important to remember that and not forget that but once you're on the path it becomes yeah, yeah so you you, yeah. you don't actually maybe it's not something that's that important to hold on to but you feel like it should be important to hold on to yeah you know that's, that's a good point i love that point so we have four left so uh let's uh let's hit up the next one the next one is minimal versus preparedness so this one, at this point, Emily kind of talks about 
how we can buy in excess um, as opposed to buying things week by week. Um, she also talks about buying all items in bulk um, as this kind of saves us trips to the store and, and money. She, she puts that forth as, uh, as one of the things. And she also talks about how um, she'll buy certain foods like uh, brown rice she lists here and dry beans and oats um, in cans so she has them on hand, um, although they take up space. So I, I, think a, I think a good example to this one is uh, if you've ever been on a backpacking trip or a canoe trip, so you're going out in the wilderness, you don't have access to your car or, or you know, you don't have this infinite capacity to bring things. I think that's a good test to know where your mindset is at. Because if you've ever been on a backpacking trip and you have to carry everything in your back, you tend to be very selective and, and uh, ultra prepared because you can't be out in the middle of nowhere without you know, survival needs being met. So I think that's a good test. Everyone, I think everyone should try a wilderness trip at some point in their life to really know how little they can get by with or, or how, how over-prepared we tend to be in our society. So you're saying even if you're not on a backpacking trip, you should almost think about the level of preparedness you make yourself as if you were going to go backpacking. Like, keep the amount of food stocked at home or whatever as if you were going to go on a backpacking trip. Well, no, no, not to that extreme. But I, I think if you went on, on a backpacking trip, I, I think it, your, your mindset gets altered because you have to make this constant trade-off between, you know, your capacity to bring things with you and your, you know, your absolute bottom line survival need. And, and I, I think it just makes you look at, at just in case or, um, you know, you tend to, so when you have infinite capacity, I tend to think of every possible scenario that could unfold and have that covered. Whereas if I'm going on a backpacking trip, I'm looking at the weather from an hourly perspective and I want to, you know, and I'm looking at those percentages of precipitation at, at, at you know, 35 to 40% means something to me when I'm backpacking. But when I'm just at home and I'm, maybe I'm going to go to the grocery store, I don't care if it's going to rain 35 or 40%. You know, that, that chance of precipitation doesn't matter to me. So you tend to look at, at all the possible scenarios with a whole different lens. But, I mean, let's, let's look at specific examples listed here. When it, when it comes to food items and things like that, how, do you still look at it in the same way? I mean, is it, is it convenient to have those on hand? Is it convenient to buy in bulk? Or, or how do, and how does that work with minimalism for both of you? Well, I, can't, I live in a small town and I have a car. So if I run it out of food, it's literally a five-minute trip to the store. So it's not a huge expense in, in fuel or a huge expense of time. But, you know, if I go back to when I was younger, so in Ontario, Canada, we used to have a, 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 a Sunday shopping law, meaning stores couldn't be open. Even grocery stores couldn't be open. So Saturday, it was a complete frenzy. I mean, people were shopping like the store was going to be closed for a week because they didn't want to run out of whatever on Sunday. Actually, if you go shopping on just say the 24th of December is the last day that stores are going to be open before the Christmas break, those stores, it is, it's a dangerous place to be. A grocery store at that time of day, because people, they, they're terrified of not having whatever it is they're going to need for their Christmas dinner. I know I like to um, limit the amount of excess I, I keep in my house because I, I find uh, it it masks uh, all the uh, the the things you you do have. So if I, I go grocery shopping once a week, and if I have all these extra things, I tend to get so used to all the extra stuff that I I'll think okay at the end of the week I'm out of food. Whereas if I don't have as much there. Uh, I find I tend to get more creative and resourceful and I see what I do have. So then I, I'm forced to, uh, I, I, I might plan for say five meals and just I, I find all this extra stuff and I can throw together that, that sixth meal. Uh, so I find it exposes what you still do have if you, if you don't. So you're saying, so you're saying by being less prepared, you end up becoming more resourceful? Yes, yes. And I think like you said with the, the backpacking example is, is you bring less, but you try to be uh, really prepared. And I think you, you end up having to adapt because say, I don't know, say your stove broke. You're, you're, you're not just going to say, okay, well, we don't eat dinner tonight. You're, you're going to get creative. You're, you're going to start a fire. You're going to heat your water over the fire. So I, I think you, it forces you to get creative with less, I think. 
I like that. So by by being a minimalist and focusing le- focusing less on preparedness, you actually expand your skill set and become more resourceful, and maybe be able to accomplish things you you maybe wouldn't have been able to accomplish otherwise. And I know the meal I make on that sixth day, and I just pull things together. I feel like I just won the lottery. Like I, I feel like I'm just the king of the world because like I just pulled this meal out of thin air. Like I feel like I'm getting it for free. It's it's a good feeling. Wow, I like that. So we're, let's move on to the next point. It, it is minimal versus specialty. So this point kind of goes into how we have a specific sets of things or specific things that serve their unique functions. Um, and and think something that really rings true, I think, at this point is that maybe the hobbies that we um, invest ourselves in or, or the things we have around our home that are so specific. Uh, so for me, I know I got two main hobbies I focus on. I play uh, hockey and I woodwork. And all the stuff I need for that, it's fairly specialty. I, I only use it for the one thing, woodworking and hockey. But for me, those things... I don't get bothered by them too much because it's something I use on a frequent occasion and it, it adds a lot of value to my life. I love woodworking. I love hockey. So to me, that's good. The ones that always get to me and bother me are things, those specialty items where I only use them like once a year, twice a year. And that's really where, uh, I can't think of a good example right now, but that's that's where those ones always bother me. Those are the ones I try to limit from my, my life. You know, we I, I like that example. We talk on this podcast about focus. You know, to win at personal finance, you need to be focused. So if you had a friend who was into deep sea diving, another one that was into motorcycles, another one that was into mountain biking and skydiving, and you, you spent time with each of those friends and you wanted to do, each of those friends was it was extremely focused in each other's hobbies, but you wanted to do, participate in all other hobbies with those friends, you'd go broke. So I, I like Mike's example, but he, he has two focused interests and it's okay to spend on those specialty things because you don't have like 20. So I've been guilty of having, you know, over the course of my lifetime, uh, you know, too many hobbies and not being focused enough. And and I, so specialty is good, but you you got to have limits. You know, the, the, and so here, especially we'll go back to Christmas. So Christmas is kind of a specialty time of year where you have things that are just Christmas related and they take up a lot of space. And, and you got to sort of keep track of them and make sure they're, you know, they're not broken or you don't need new ones. So I, I agree with you that the ones that you only use once a year, they, they tend to be a burden. Tre- like a, a Trevor, boating. I know, um, like, uh, for you, for example, how many decorations do you keep for other holidays? Yeah. Not, not only Christmas. I, I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you focus your, your decorations for that one uh, season. Like when you talk about the yeah, holidays. That's a good point. So I, I like, don't decorate yeah. for Halloween or Easter or, or those other ones. So yeah, that's a good point. So it is pretty focused. So I, I've picked my holiday that I'm going to decorate for, and I think I think this is a this is a big point. I think those kind of one-off things for. I mean, I live in a in a pretty small apartment with no real storage space other than regular kind of coat closets. So having space to store kind of those extra things kind of becomes a little bit a uh, little bit impossible. Well, you know, the flip side of specialty is a multi-purpose thing, right? That, that you know, let, let's go in the kitchen and talk about uh, kitchen appliances and, and utensils. So the the uh, the opposite of of specialty is, is multifunctional, and those things tend to be. Uh, you might only have one, but they tend to be bigger. Uh, they tend to be more cumbersome and, and less efficient to use. So th- there's a downside to being a minimalist when when a specialty item would serve the purpose. And I guess another one to look at it is is clothing. Again, in our Canadian winters, I have a lot of specialty clothing that deals with you know for being out in the cold. I like to cross country ski, and or even go for walks in the winter. You need to be dressed accordingly, and the clothing for that is pretty specialized. And if you try to go with general purpose clothes, you're generally going to be uncomfortable. So there's some cases where specialty. It's just required. So let's uh, let's skip on to the second last point. And this point is minimal versus maintaining. So Emily kind of points out that, quote, while maintaining our materials is still best, sometimes we need to be able to just replace things. So she, she goes by this frugal mantra as well, which I really like. Use it up, wear it out, make it work, or do without. So how easily are both of you able to kind of accept that you need to throw something out and replace it. Do you, do you find yourself holding on to something maybe longer than you should? 
I know I have the tendency to hold on to things longer than I should. And it'll get to the point where uh, the, the item I'm trying to hold on to, I, I keep repairing or whatever. And it starts getting to the point where it's detracting. And I, I like that thing she says is, uh, uh, so I, I, I know, I think it, you, you almost have to accept that sometimes you got to get rid of something and it, it's, it's beyond maintaining because then it's taking away from your, your quality of life. So if I think back to my childhood, back when, when everything wasn't made in China and, and things just cost more, like clothes, they, they, they're far cheaper today, you know, uh, inflation adjusted than they were, you know, 30 or 40 years ago when, when they were made in North America. And, and I think of kitchen appliances. I remember... Uh, my my father repairing a toaster uh, multiple times to keep it working. I can go buy a toaster for I think fifteen dollars is a cheap. I, I you might even get them for twelve bucks. Why would I invest any time in repairing a toaster? So I I think that the it has shifted. But there was a time where people would like I remember uh, going to get a, a a vacuum cleaner repaired. You know, taking them places to get these things fixed. Having, I, I know, I, I I had somebody come in to fix a fridge once, and and actually twice. And both times, the guy who came to fix it said, "You know, you probably should just replace this thing. It's it's really old." And I didn't. I finally did replace the fridge, but that was the mindset, the mentality of the repairman saying, "You know, you should get rid of this thing and just buy a new one." And his business is repairing fridges, so. It really, we are in a very disposable society compared to, say, 40 years ago when we were in a repair society. In fact, even with cars, cars, I don't want to diminish what mechanics do, but a lot of it is replace, you know, remove and replace whatever part has stopped working. But they used to actually, you know, repair the part that didn't work, like like alternators or or cylinder heads on cars. You know, they, they'd, you know, redo them and then put that old one back on. But now it's just remove and replace. So- what do you think's better? Because you've seen both. Do you think it's better to have uh, the repair world, or do you think it's better to have the replace world? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think obviously for the environment, the repair world is far superior. I, I think. But from a minimalist perspective, like as a minimalist, what one do you think is better to have? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I I think probably the the repair world because you don't have the burden of disposing or. Or you don't have to go shop for that thing again. So just it kind of aligns with the minimalist mindset that you you yeah. keep that same thing. You don't have to keep you know shopping for a new one. I think it goes back to the same thing as well. That whole resourceful like it it forces you kind of to get at like to to think outside the box and try to solve a problem and uh, challenge. Yeah, that that is a good point. That that kind of uh, you you back in those days you did have to be resourceful like i have no idea how to repair a toaster but my dad did so he he obviously was resourceful enough to figure that out cuz he had to so and, that is and really on that point, point too i mean maybe we make more haphazard purchases because we're like oh this toaster is only going to last us 2 3 5 years actually that's a really good point that's really good yeah, we, yeah. we tend to not think like, our purchases through because it's so disposable yeah. Who researches a toaster, exactly. right? Like I remember actually you told me this a couple of weeks ago, Trevor, that uh, uh, you said that uh, you had a microwave for like 20 years and, and you spent all day looking for that microwave to like make sure it was the right yeah. one because it was so expensive at the time. Whereas now you'd go out in an hour and you'd buy a, buy a That's microwave. That's a very good point because they are disposable. Yeah. Actually, back to that, back to that point. So people have now, if somebody, you know, can go find a, to- uh, a microwave oven in inside an hour, they probably consider themselves resourceful because they can, you know, they've figured out an efficient way to do that. So the definition of resourceful has been how efficiently can you acquire a replacement item? Would you guys agree? Is that? And and because that, we are a, point. I agree a disposable yeah. society too, we're probably buying things. And I, I think we're personally maybe spending more money because we, when something breaks, we just go and buy the cheapest one. Uh, maybe maybe it broke at an inopportune time, so and maybe we have less disposable income at that exact moment to replace that something. So we just kind of buy whatever we can at the uh, least expensive price. But maybe that'll break again. And take my rain boots. I had to buy new rain boots every single year, whereas the, my hundred boots they've lasted I think three years now. So in, in that sense, maybe you, you are going to spend less money if you if you do. We're back to the, one of our earlier points: buy durable. 
Actually, you know, we, we got an email we read last week from a listener named Ron, and he wrote me back. Uh, he had listened to the episode where I talked about every car I've ever owned, the power window stopped working. And I've taken it in, and they've replaced the power window motor, you know, t- to fix the problem. And Ron told me what he d- he's done, and it's worked for him countless times by the sounds of it. He's taken the motor part and cleaned the and cleaned the contacts, the carbon buildup on them, and the window works fine. So there is a, a guy who's super resourceful and just figured it out. Rather than dropping five hundred dollars on a, a power window motor, he he probably fixed it for you know just a couple hours of time of his time. So there's a, a great example of being resourceful, even in today's re- re- replacement mentality. And, and, and the sad part is sometimes when. It's, it's sometimes hard to find that expensive, durable um, item that it might last for a while because we do live in such a a kind of inexpensive and uh, a cheap, yeah, cheap quality item. Made in China. So it's it's kind of, we're, again, with yeah. a lot of decisions that we make, we're kind of sometimes forced and led that way because of the way society is just moving in general. So let's move on to the very last point, and this one is minimal versus material. And I think I, I think it's probably an easy one to get kind of caught up in it, but it's the idea that um, it's kind of it, it, Emily calls it reverse materialism. So that, and she says minimalists can unwittingly set themselves up with the ironic sense of I'm such I'm so much more minimal than the person over there. So it, it kind of becomes a, a contest of how much can you shrink your possessions? How much can you become a minimalist and, and kind of devote your time and energy to to being the best minimalist out there? So this is the uh, the traditional comparison of, of minimalism to, to society. The other ones were more obscure and, and made you think harder, but this is the obvious you, you know, you, you don't have to work too hard to, to, to wrap your head around which one's better here from the perspective of our podcast. But I think it, it if it turns into a competition, you know, I have less than you have, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. I agree. I was going to say you're doing it wrong. I, I think it's all like minimalism is a movement. It's not like a club. So like there's no like <laughs> if you get rid of this much stuff, you get to be a minimalist. It, it's it's the idea of of reducing stuff simplifying your life so i mean one person could have ten thousand items get rid of five and have the biggest weight left out of the shoulder someone could have a hundred items get rid of like 10 of them and only have now 80 and i think they're equally minimal no that's that's a really good uh explanation but better than than i had put out for me I, I do something like, you know, empty a closet and I feel like uh, a minimalist. And I'm sure if you came to visit me, you would say, wow, these guys are anything but minimalist. You know, so it, it's, it's, you need to use yourself as a reference point, not somebody else. And I would say if you know somebody who is like Michael, just a, a, a natural minimalist, as I like to refer to it as, to get their input on your situation I think is is very valuable. You know, I if you reached out to somebody who's a, a natural minister and say, you know, do you think this is excessive? I think they could really help shape, you know, how you see things if if you're not a natural minimalist and you so for me I tend to see what's not there and Mike tends to see you know what is there and, and appreciate what is there and I I'm tend to see these these holes in my life where I need to fill it. And so I have to work really hard at at seeing it through a different lens. I was going to say, if you're looking for motivation to, to minimalize as well, uh, if you watch Ryan and uh, Josh's uh, documentary, The Minimalist, it's a great tool to get, uh, to get motivated. And, you know, I have watched that. And, you, you know, watching that multiple times, like if you watch that four times a year, that, that it's on Netflix. It is it's a just as good well every done. Time. It's entertaining and informative. If you watch... It is, it is. If you watch that four times a year, you'd be doing yourself a, a world of, 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 of favor because it, sometimes you just need a reminder. Again, if, if you're not a natural minimalist, so for you, Mike, I consider you a natural minimalist, does it inspire you as, as every time you watch it or, or are you kind of, yeah, I knew that, I knew that? Every, every time. I know I, I, I watched it, I think, two times. Uh, so I knew the story already. I went to their um, their live show recently, 
and, and I already knew the story and I was just so inspired. The next day, I actually wasn't even the next day. I, I stayed up a little late that night and I, I got rid of a whole bunch of stuff because I was just so inspired by it. It is it is very liberating, I must admit. And and the beauty of it is, is like you say, there's no club, there's no membership. It's it's what every person wants to make it. But when you do it, it just you 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 feel like you've gained some freedom in life. And I do want to say, bringing people in if on your kind of minimalist adventure, I think is so valuable because you have all these kind of emotional attachments and connections to these material possessions in your life that are so individual to you. Whereas all the other people in your life, even if they're not minimalists can look at an object and look at it logically and help you see it in a more logical way, because it's easier to get rid of things when you only kind of have a logical, rational viewpoint towards it. Yeah, that's it. That is, that that's is a really good, good point. point that, that input, it, you could be looking at it with tunnel vision, right? And all you see is that, um, you know, that memory, that emotional attachment. And somebody else who doesn't have that can, can ask the questions that you're not able to ask yourself. Exactly. So, I mean, I think this brings us to the end of today's episode. I mean, I, I really think we, uh, we covered a lot of ground here. But do either of you have any kind of final thoughts to wrap up today's show? Uh, is the whole idea, uh, and I know what kind of inspired the idea for this episode was uh, the question, could anybody be a minimalist? And I, I was thinking about the whole idea of it. And like I was saying, it's not a club, it's a movement. And you think of in sports, uh, during the playoffs, you have bandwagoners. And uh, the whole idea is it's a whole bunch of people getting behind the movement of that sports franchise doing well in the, the playoffs leading towards the championship. And so I was thinking about that and I started elaborating on that whole idea. So you have bandwagon going down the road and you got the people driving the bandwagon, the people say like myself who are, are, are the true minimalists. And then you got the people like Josh and Ryan who, who are on the back of that bandwagon and they're all excited. They're making it look awesome. And you got these people that are on the side of the road. They see it and like that is so awesome. They jump on board and they're fully committed. And then you got people who are, um, they're, they're watching the, the bandwagon go by. They're super into it, but they're, they're not fully committed because they're, they're just sitting, uh, they're just watching it go by, but they still like it. And then you got the people who, who either didn't know about the parade or they chose to, to stay uh, at home. And, and it might be for whatever reason, like they didn't like the, they don't like the noise of the parade. They don't, you know, they don't like the chaos of it. But if you asked anybody there, like people who didn't go, they would still say they approved of the idea of the parade. They liked the idea of the movement. And if you think about any parade, no one can argue with the idea that they like a Santa Claus parade or uh, a championship parade for the idea that it's bringing everyone together. I think everyone can be a minimalist. I think it's something that uh, everyone will apply to that movement. I have uh, I have no words. Thoughts? That was, no, that, that was incredible. That, yeah. that really summed up this episode. So, I mean, on that incredibly well-worded, well-thought-out note, I definitely think that brings us to the end of today's episode on minimalist and kind of the different perspectives of it. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in today and being with us on kind of our roundtable discussion on minimalism. We appreciate having you around and we can't wait to have you back here with us next week. Until then, keep it simple. Keep it simple.